0: get this going. Okay. All right, so just to kind of introduce myself again, um, my name is Alex Whitaker, if I haven't met you. Uh, I am the South End Women's Ministry Coordinator. So uh, hang out at South End um, a good bit. It's really good to be with y'all uh, just this morning. Um, and really uh i've I've loved just getting to be a part of this study um really this semester and last semester we've done this for two semesters now uh, getting to pay attention um to look into god's word to uh investigate his encounters with and interactions with um, women in the scriptures and just kind of inviting him to uh to you know see ourselves in the stories and um to see how he might be you know involved in our stories, right? And so it's been a real treat to get to, to be a part of that with you guys. Um, and just kind of two things before, before we get going, really, um, two sort of announcement-type things. Number one is, uh, if you've, like, loved connecting and meeting with other women um, through this study, I, I want to invite you, um, we're going to have our next Gather Feast connect dinner uh, coming up in April so that'll be Wednesday April 26th Um, and what that is if you haven't been a part of it before um, we you would go on the website and I think the link is going to be live sometime today or tomorrow in the next couple days you'll see it um, you go on the website, register for it, and we will put you in a small group with um, a handful of women from the site that you attend, the Hope site that you attend, uh, to go have dinner at somebody's house and just kind of get to know each other socially uh, in a setting over dinner. Um, everybody kind of brings something um, at a host's house. So I, I want to just say, like, this isn't the end um, of people connecting and getting plugged in if you're looking for ways to plug in or looking for ways to kind of meet uh, more people um, at your site I would really encourage you to sign up for our next uh, dinner that's coming up soon and so there's that and then the only other thing I wanted to kind of just say again is um, uh, there there's a lot of people that kind of make this Bible study happen um, it's we have over I think 200 women like participating this this semester um, in the Bible study there's there's about a hundred or so in here and then there's another Hundred or so um, that are doing it on a weeknight, and so um, I just wanted to give a shout out for um, the people who are leading the tables. I mean, you'll have a, you'll have a table leader. Um, There's small group leaders hosting groups in their homes, and I just want to say, like, we could not pull this off without them, without you guys, and so we're just super thankful um, for you for you leading the way this semester and giving your time, uh, your homes, um, your space. So thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for being available uh, to make that possible and so just just those two things so okay we're gonna kind of transition now Um, this week uh, the passage that we're gonna be looking together at is John 20 uh, verses 11 through 18 and so this is an account of Mary Magdalene encountering Jesus after he's been resurrected um, following his death on the cross and burial in Jerusalem And of course, you know, we uh, intentionally um, chose to kind of land the plane with women's Bible study for this semester on this passage, uh, because it's perfect timing, you know, Easter, Lent, um, going on, Um, we're just a couple weeks away, and so um, it's good for us to kind of sit and soak in these resurrection passages, and so... um, just kind of before we do our Lectio, for some of us, um, if you have not spent much time um, kind of in the scripture and reading your Bible before, um, it may, this when, as we read this passage, it may catch you off guard um, to kind of consider to read um, that the Bible talks about um, Jesus' resurrection from the dead, like not in a metaphorical way, but like in a literal body-risen-from-the-dead kind of way. Um, And so I I just want to say from up front, if if you're reading through this, if you're hearing this maybe for the first time, um, and you're kind of like caught off guard or shocked by that, I would say lean into that. Um, Lean into the shock of that, because that actually means that you're wrestling and you're actually hearing what Christianity says is a truth claim. And so that's that's an invitation to just kind of lean into... Uh, what Christianity hinges itself on, right? Jesus raising from the dead. And so I'm not going to try to attempt in this um, talk to, uh, you know, like unpack all of the implications of that, um, flesh out all the ev- evidence for that. Um, but if you have questions about that, um, I would encourage you reach out to Stephanie or Laura or Jen or me or anybody from the Women's Shepherding Team. We'd love to, like, get coffee with you. Talk to you about that because um, it's huge. It's awesome. And then, same um, on the opposite end of the spectrum. I think before we read, for many of us, this may be really a familiar passage, right? And so, easy to kind of, you know, coast your way through it and kind of jump over what what's really familiar. But um, I just want to invite you um, to lean in and to try as much as you can to listen with fresh ears um, and kind of pay attention to. <coughs> What, what God might be trying to speak to you about today. Um, so, kind of wherever we are, um, let's try to believe together that God has something for us in this passage. Um, and it's an opportunity to slow down enough to try to hear from him. Um, so, Okay, sound good? Alright, okay, here we go. So we're going to take a minute um, and just be silent together. Um, try to calm down. Try to pay attention. How are we coming into the room? Try to be present. Um, before we read the passage, and um, at the end of this time, I'm going to read our passage the first time through, and want you to kind of make note of any word or phrase that jumps out to you, and so you may want to write that down um, somewhere. So, all right, let's let's be silent together. <clears throat> This is John 20, verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away... Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbinai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Take about 30 seconds. What word or phrase stands out? going to read it a second time. Uh, This time we're going to try to pay attention to what do you notice about Jesus, right? What's his character like? Maybe jot that down. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I'm going to read it one more time. This time uh, we're trying to imagine ourselves in the passage, right? What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? How do you react to what's going on? Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, "Rabbi," which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went around to the disciples and said, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Thanks, thanks for participating in that with me. Uh, we're going to jump in now. And as we do, I kind of want to frame our time by looking at the, this passage in kind of four, four parts as they relate to Mary specifically, right? So the way I, I kind of want to outline our time is by um, first looking at Mary's character. Um, then we'll look at her confusion We'll look at her clarity, and then we'll look at her charge. Okay, so that's four things. Character, confusion, clarity, and charge. Okay, so first we're going to take a look at Mary's character. Um, In other words, who is Mary Magdalene, and how does she find herself as the key witness, key eyewitness, and arguably the most significant time and place in all of the Bible and all of human history? Alright, so our our Mary today is mentioned 12 times in the gospel accounts, um, almost always in the context of the resurrection accounts, as all four gospel writers mention her at the scene of Jesus' tomb. But even before the tomb, uh, we get a glimpse of Mary's relationship with Jesus uh, in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and this is what it says. It says, soon afterward... He, Jesus, went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chizah, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And so Luke Paints us a picture of Mary that kind of sheds light, um, sheds a little light on who she is. First, she's kind of listed in this handful of women who, along with the 12 disciples, went from town to town uh, with Jesus as he shared the gospel uh, during his three years of ministry. And so um, it's it's good to just kind of linger over that, that point alone, just for a minute. um, And maybe even ask yourself, when I imagine Jesus in the Gospels, do I imagine him with just like 12 men kind of tagging along? Or were there women there too? Um, can you imagine that it's possible and even probable uh, that our Mary today in this passage uh, has likely been side by side with Jesus in a number of the passages that we've studied together um, in this, this semester? So Luke tells us a story where Mary Magdalene is not only present in the day-to-day life of Jesus as a witness to many of the uh, miracles and the teachings, uh, but it also says that she was one of the people who consistently contributed out of her own means to make his ministry possible. And so how well do you think that Mary knew Jesus after all this time together? Um, how close of a friendship did they likely have? Um, as somebody who's worked in a kind of nonprofit uh, setting uh, my entire adult life and have kind of had to do some personal fundraising for many of those years, um, I would have to imagine that Mary knew Jesus very well uh, to have faithfully uh, and regularly foot the bill for him to be able to uh, care for so many so freely. Um, And so Mary Magdalene and Jesus are very close friends, right? Um, But Luke also tells us a little bit about how their relationship came about. Um, It's hard to miss because it's so shocking to our modern American ears, but Luke says that at one point, seven demons had gone out of Mary, um, and in Mark's account, he uses the word cast out, um, which is just another way of saying that, Mary, uh, that Jesus had expelled or driven uh, these seven demons out of her life. Now, again, I know this is very uh, uncomfortable and hard to kind of imagine in our modern Western Presbyterian minds. Um, how do we understand? How do we think about, much less relate to somebody uh, who is demon-possessed in the Bible. Um, well, there's another, there's another account of a man in Mark 5, uh, verses 2 through 5, who was also plagued by demons. Uh, this is the way he's described. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Um, But kind of beyond the barbaric type, you know, image that we might have, what do you notice, right? Um, He's clearly not feeling like himself. Um, He feels like someone else, maybe even multiple people. Um, And because of that, he's, he's isolated himself, or either he's been isolated from his community Uh, He's living in the tombs, which is just another way of saying uh, he's dead to the world, or at least he likely feels like that. Uh, This is a picture of a guy who is out of control. Um, He's spinning. He's spiraling, both mentally and physically. Um, He can't be subdued. He can't calm himself down. He's prone to fits of uncontrollable crying, and he's even inflicted physical self-harm. Have you ever felt any of those things? I don't know exactly what to make of demon possession, but it doesn't seem to be a huge leap to me uh, to imagine that at minimum, uh, this this man and Mary Magdalene had both endured some severe bouts Uh, with mental illnesses, including dark days of anxiety and depression. What had it looked like for Mary Magdalene to feel lonely and sad in a hole she couldn't dig herself out of? I wonder what it looked like, what it has looked like for some of you in this room. And so in light of her past, knowing that somewhere along the way, Jesus entered the picture and rid her of the torment of the multiple voices in her mind that were kind of holding her captive, is it any surprise then uh, that she's now named as one of the handful of fully devoted disciples of Jesus? Um, Her story shapes her view of who Jesus is and leads her into a life of worship, giving away her time and her treasure. And so this is the character of Mary, we've, we've seen her now, um, we know a little bit more, and so kind of heading into our passage today, we meet her in some confusion, right? Um, leading up to our passage, uh, right just before where ours starts, it, it says this, here's the backstory. John 20, starting verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, the disciples went back to their homes. So, Mary, we know from all the places that she's mentioned in the Gospels, has been with Jesus during, during his ministry. And then uh, she's been said to be an eyewitness to his like, trials, um, an eyewitness to his crucifixion, even when one of the other disciples ran away, fled. And then she's also witnessed uh, where Jesus was buried. And so now, on the first day that she's able, um, because, you know, on the Sabbath it was prohibited, uh, she's up early, before the sunrise, to finish the burial preparations for Jesus' body. And we know from the other gospel accounts that she wasn't alone, um, that a few other uh, of the devout women were with her. But I love that John focuses, kind of focuses his attention on just her. So you can imagine the sacredness of this place. It's dark, it's quiet. They're there to care for their dear friend's dead, broken body after his murder. Just as she had in his life, Mary is there to worship Jesus in his death. And it must have been a solemn walk to the tomb. And yet when she arrives, she sees a stone rolled away. Confused, shaken, she takes off and runs to bring Peter and John as backup because she thinks the body's been stolen. And Peter and John get into an ill-timed foot race, which John wins and records for bragging rights for all of history. (laughs) Sure enough, they look inside the tomb and see nothing but folded up burial cloths. And in verse 8, it tells us he, John... Saul and he believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So Jesus had explained to his followers, like on a number of occasions, um, that using scripture, that the plan all along uh, was for him to die as a substitute for the sins of the world. And three days later, He was to be raised from the dead, proving his victory over sin and death, but no one could ever understand him. Um, They had no category for resurrection in their worldview. So it wasn't that John saw the burial cloths uh, and then believed Jesus was alive, um, right? Instead, he believed Mary's original uh, theory that Jesus' body had been stolen And so no wonder they headed back to their homes, right? Dejected, dumbfounded. But not Mary. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them they've taken away my lord and I don't know where they've laid him Mary's grieving Can you imagine the trauma she has accumulated over the course of the last week of Jesus's life to see to have seen what she saw to have had no ability to defend or to rescue the one who had changed her life Taught her wisdom and valued her as a partner and a friend. The heartbreak she must have felt and now standing in his tomb, not even able to have the closure of caring for him one last time. She's weeping. And she's visited by two uh, angels, which miraculously doesn't seem to scare her at all. Um, even when they ask her why she's crying, she, she doubles down on her stolen body theory. She's very sad and very confused. Um, but this is kind of just the beginning of her confusion. Our passage goes on, verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. So Mary's turned now from talking to angels, and she's talking to Jesus, who she presumes to be the gardener. Um, Could it be that the reason that she doesn't recognize him is that it's still dark outside? Um, Maybe she only sees his silhouette, Uh, And because of the way he's been disfigured on the cross, he didn't look like himself. Um, You know, we know that there's other accounts of disciples uh, seeing the risen Jesus and not immediately recognizing or knowing who he was. Uh, But my, my best guess, though, is that she didn't recognize him because she couldn't imagine that it could be him. She had come to the tomb that morning looking to worship her friend, her healer, her teacher, Jesus, who had died. Rationally, the gardener showing up was the only thing that made sense. So I love that Jesus' first words to Mary are questions. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? By asking questions and being curious with her heart, Jesus reveals to us a God who embraces our tears and invites our desires and doubts. And you can kind of see him setting him up here, I mean, can't you? Um, Of course he knows that she's weeping over his death and looking for his body, but underneath that, what's going on? I think Jesus is asking Mary to take inventory of her perception of who she thought he was and where she had placed her hope. You can imagine that her tears were the evidence of her disappointment that Jesus, um, that God, hadn't turned out uh, to be who she expected. And the plans she had assumed uh, for her life, he had for her life, had not panned out like she thought. She was seeking Jesus in that tomb, but she was seeking Jesus, uh, seeking a Jesus Uh, she could only see looking back through rose colored glasses. A Jesus she had known in her past, but was now gone, and along with him, so was her hope. She was seeking her version of Jesus that morning, but she couldn't imagine, because she couldn't imagine. More than what she had already had and then lost. I don't know about you, but Mary's weeping and seeking deeply resonate with me. And it's interesting. Um, when I was preparing to give this talk, I came across a guy who was talking about um, where Mary Magdalene's name came from. Now we already know that Mary was essentially, you know, the most common name. Uh, for women during that time, but I just kind of assumed Magdalene was like her middle name or her last name or something like that. Turns out uh, she's given, that, given this name as a way of identifying where she was from, um, which was a town called Magdala, Mag- Magdala, I don't know how you say it, Magdala, which is located um, on the western shore of Galilee. And so what's more, Magdala Uh, If you translate that from Hebrew, it means tower or fortress, which really struck me when I was thinking about Mary standing by the tomb. Here's the thing a fortress is a bunker, a series of walls that close off the vulnerable places to protect a city. Similarly, what happens in our hearts when we come face to face with disappointment, unmet desires? Unexpected loss. Misplaced hope. If you're anything like me, your heart gets hard. You start building a fortress. Sometimes, even without realizing it, walls start going up, uh, attempting to protect ourselves so that we won't be vulnerable or susceptible to hurt or anger or pain. What walls must Mary, the fortress, have built up as she stood at the tomb disillusioned? What about you? Are you a walking fortress? I wish this wasn't true. uh, This idea of closing off uh, for protection is super personal for me. um, As I've struggled with this tendency for years, Um, particularly as I've grieved uh, the death of my husband at a young age and the subsequent loss of the dreams and ideas I've built around our future together. I've at times knowingly and unknowingly closed myself off from my feelings, my desires, even God. At some point a few years ago, uh, this was so apparent in my life that my dear friend, uh, Lauren Cheatham, uh, she gave me the nickname Tough Girl, right? Hey, Tough Girl. Um, and she would gently and lovingly use it when I was kind of keeping a barrier up in our friendship. I wish I could say she was the only one to ever point out this kind of fortress way of living to me, but she wasn't. This is a deep, struggle for me and I imagine for some of you it is too which brings us back to the scene at the tomb how does Mary move from her confusion uh, into clarity verse 16 Jesus said to her Mary she turned and said to him in Aramaic which means teacher Jesus says her name. It's dark outside. Mary doesn't see Jesus first, she hears him. He called her by a name, and immediately she knew who he was. Mary. It's so personal, so intimate. Something about him speaking her name brought her from talking to the gardener to talking to God, and it just melts her. She knows it's her teacher. She knows it's her master. She knows it's the one who knows her better than anyone else. Have you ever thought about what it might sound like for Jesus to call you by name? I'm going to do something weird. I'm going to say, let's take like seven seconds together and just be quiet and close your eyes and try to hear Jesus saying your name. Just do that with me. What did it sound like? was the tone in his voice? How did, his, how did your body respond to hear him speaking to you? When I hear him saying, Alex, my whole body relaxes. I can tangibly feel the walls I've built up around my heart start to break down. And the more I sit and I listen to his intimate voice, the more freedom I feel and the more deep breaths I can take. He knows me. He's got me. I don't have to work so hard to protect my heart. I'm safe. I think this is what Mary felt too. It's all the clarity she needed. Right? Not her plans working out or her predicament solved or questions answered. Her, care, her clarity came through Jesus' presence, through his voice. It's why he's called our living hope. Because he's alive and He's present with us now by his spirit. His resurrection means that we have as much personal, intimate access to him now as Mary did that morning. This is why Jesus said to her, verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In other words, you don't have to grasp for me, uh, because when I ascend to the Father, I'm leaving you with my spirit, which means I'm not going anywhere. I will be with you Forever until you see me again, and you will see me again. Which brings us to the last point: Mary's charge. Of all the people God could have chosen to be the first post-resurrection evangelist, Jesus chooses Mary. He says, "Go and tell my brothers." She's not a fortress anymore. She's a tower. She's a pillar in, the, in God's lineage of men and women who've been given the privilege of being charged with sharing the good news about who he is and why he's come. And I love her strategy. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Sometimes we think sharing our faith is complicated, right? But Mary models a simpler way. Let me tell you guys what I saw with my own eyes. (coughs) Let me tell you what he said to me. He said my name and this is what happened. I believe because I saw him show up in front of me and I heard him speak to me. And this is what changed the world forever. The testimony of a woman who though she had been plagued with a rough story, had seasons of great faithfulness and great doubt, but was known and called by, the, called by name by the God who loved her, which moved her outwards to share the hope of a risen Savior to all who would hear. And this is a great encouragement, isn't it? Because we're a lot like Mary Magdalene and a lot like all the women that we've talked about throughout this semester. We know that Jesus has a special affection for women and that when they encountered his love for them, they were set free. I wonder what you've experienced as you've encountered him in this study and what he might be doing in our hearts and what he might do in our church as a result of that. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you that you call us by name, that you know each and every one of us in this room and on the podcast listening, that you know us uh, intimately, personally, and that your presence is the thing that we need uh, to to feel safe, um, to move forward in hope, Um, to let our guard down. Father, I pray uh, that by your spirit that you would do just that for us this morning uh, in our small group time. Um, Give us your presence. And by your spirit, would you move us outward uh, to, to love and to care for others as Mary did. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.